Radio Diaries from PRX's Radiotopia is a podcast featuring first-person diaries, sound portraits, and hidden chapters of history. Their newest series, Hunker Down Diaries, tells stories of people in unexpected circumstances due to the pandemic, like hunkering down in a car, quarantining after the first date, and spending the lockdown in a pizzeria. Subscribe to the Radio Diaries podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Original Podcast. Hey, it's Lou. Today we're bringing you a special episode of Love Me. Season 3 will launch later this fall, but we decided to release this episode early because of some unexpected developments with the story. Listen through for more details at the end of the show. I've never been in love before, but uh, I wanted to see what's it look like to be in love. So uh, there was a detainee. There was a, a detainee who fell in love with the, one of the guards. So I went to his cell. What's it look like? How you love her? And he said, I would stay all night long just look at her when she was in the tower guarding. I didn't feel pain. I didn't feel tired. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to sleep. I just think about her. I said, okay, I want to know more. She is a guard, you're a detainee. She considers you as your enemy. It's like, uh, do you think uh, love uh, play by our rules? Love is love. From CBC, this is Love Me. Today's episode, To My Heart. When I was 19 years old, I was shipped to Guantanamo detention. I didn't know where I was. Uh, have no idea why I was there. Imagine your life, you, you know nothing, nothing. You ask, what I have done? They said, we don't know. Our job is just to interrogate you and to ask you questions. They told me you are, you are an Egyptian, you are, uh, your name is Adel, and uh, you are a general. I tried to prove to them I am not. My name is Mansour Daifi. I'm a son of a woman. My mother, actually, I love her a lot and she loves me, of course. I have a, a big family, eight sisters, three brothers. I am from Yemen, actually, Arab Peninsula, the country of love. <laughs> actually, uh, they call Yemen uh, Happy Yemen. It's like called Yemen as Saeed. In English, it means. Uh, Happy. It's not now, but will be, inshallah. When I was brought to Guantanamo, it was very hard and difficult being in isolation. You can't talk to anyone, you can't hear anyone, you can't, you can't, I couldn't see anyone there. It's just a steel box, two meters wide sill, no window, only the window f- through the door where the guards can see you. We have hole on the ground as a bathroom. We have very bright light. They control everything, sleep, uh, air. And it was really, really loud. Like there's a huge fan, like a helicopter in front of the door, running 24 hours. God, like you can't sleep, you can't do anything. You can even hear yourself. It is like, it's a hell actually. It's like someone used a drill inside your head. 
they try to separate our minds from our bodies actually to break us. Sometimes I used to just put toilet paper in my ears to try to sleep. In jail you have the routine every day, it kills you. Go to the shower, back to my cell. Always with guards, with shackle, with handcuffs. We are not allowed to talk, we are not allowed to stand, we were not allowed even to look at the guards. And uh, I started uh, protesting our block and I started to talk, talk loudly and uh, every time they come to beat me and kick my, uh, beat my uh, head against the ground. I was bleeding and over, over and over again. We, we didn't know about what was going to happen to us there. We didn't know for how long. In jail, you have the routine every day. It kills you. Bright light, interrogation, no window. Go to the shower, back to myself. Very bright light very against cold. the ground. After years, we were moved to a, a communal camp. You can see people like uh, in front of you, uh, in your right, in your left. They can see you, they can hear you. Only fans uh, separate us. It's, it's like cages. Like, have you seen animal cages in like when you go to a zoo or something? You can talk, you can uh, get your finger out. I'm a social person. Like to be close to the people, know people, like to talk to people. So, imagine. They have like almost uh, 780 detainees and uh, 48 nationality. You have teachers. You have doctors. You have divers. You have pilots. You have engineers. You have soldiers. You have all kind of people imagine. It is a society, actually. So, we learn from each other. We started teaching each other uh, classes. We gathered around each of us in his cell and we start our class. Like, I remember we have a journalist from Al Jazeera. He gave us a good uh, course about journalism, how it works, and making an interview and so on. We have people from a mafia too. <laughs> they will teach you how to steal a car, to steal a bank. It's something you learn from their experience. <laughs> but the hardest class was cooking class. In Guantanamo, we had a very little food and it wasn't well prepared. So, the detainee started, he was a chef before he got to jail, and he used to start, okay, I'm going to, to teach you how to cook. And okay, now we are going to the market, we're going to buy onion, to buy that, and to buy spices. Okay. Of course, the food wasn't real, but we would pretend that it was there. We have to live like in our, our own world that we created there. Please, cut the, prepare the onion. Please, heat the oven. He said, like, okay, now imagine you get burned. He said, like, why I would get burned? It's a part of your cooking. You must get burned. Oh, no, no, no. That was like, <laughs> We developed a sense of humor, fun. Uh, we made fun of each other, of the guards, of wherever. I mean, like, we, we try not to take it so seriously. Because if you take it seriously, you will never last. You will never last. Most of us were young, so uh, many single detainees started showering those 
who were married with questions. What the woman look like? How the relationship? What, uh, like, all, all questions. In our society, to know more about women is like a forbidden thing. There's very limited information. So, like, one of the uh, detainees there, he was watching us, like, starving to know about uh, marriage life, about wife, about everything. So, he decided uh, to start a class here about marriage. This professor, he was actually, he was a father, he was a husband, he was a lover. Actually, he was a professor of Arabic literature, actually. Arabic literature involved in a lot of love stories and poetry and so on. So we found someone who is really expert in that. Our teacher, he taught us how to flirt. How you talk to the woman, what kind of words, the gifts, uh, body language, face, uh, face expression. This is how you affect the woman. They have, have the woman look at you, that woman perceive you. We were very happy. And the news of, the, of this marriage class is spread like a flame. And some they they're like so excited, like, because their idea about women is the bed. It's like the, the intercourse with the woman. Like, imagine you didn't have sex in your life, and this is your first question. <laughs> then from that point, uh, he taught us how to love our family, how to build a family. He tried to get us to appreciate women in our life. He said, I want to ask you questions. Imagine this life. There is no such thing called women. There is no mother, there is no sister, there is no girlfriend, nothing. It's just men, all men. We can't imagine life like that. It was like someone slap you in the face. Well, some of the married people who attend our class, some of them said, we, we are very sorry how we treated our women. Really. I'm sorry how we lived. And they started like, think we are going to be different now. One day, when I was writing letters to my sisters, one of the teenies came to me, said, Mansoor, if you were married and you have a wife, and you want to write to them, to tell them how much you love them, how much you miss them, to uh, keep uh, love alive, what are you going to write? I said, give me time. i never been in love before. And uh, I never have a wife, but uh, something came to my head, to my heart. Like in Arabic, we have some kind of very good phrase, just like, uh, to my, my heart. Like, I love you. You are my heart beating. And I started like putting in words. I imagine like beautiful wife. Uh, I can tell you, I can give you any details. So stop here. <laughs> so I wrote a letter at the first time. He loved it so much. He sent it to his wife. Then the word spread that I'm writing uh, letters for my brothers. And more details came to me. Can you write me this letter? <clears throat> to the love of my life. I miss you. I miss everything. They have feelings, but they can't put them in words. I miss your kisses. I miss your dogs. I miss your anger. And people like my writing. It wasn't that good, but uh, to my uh, age, to my uh, level of education, it seems, it seems good. I miss those mornings when you used to throw water on my face to wake me up. And they get very good feedback and like you can see there is warmth in those letters. 
Sometimes I ask my brothers to throw water on my face for the sake of remembering you. I love to wake up remembering you. Some sad moments, of course, we had. When you remember your mother, your sister, even like your friends, your it brought you memory to to your freedom, to your real life, to to something you're missing. But we try to hide it. If you show it, you will affect yourself and affect other people around you. Like you can see some people tear in their eyes, but they don't want to show it. Uh, I remember a guy who's. Uh, his wife divorced him and like he loved her so much he was crying like it, he was crying like a kid he said like I have no reason to live for her we tried to <laughs> we tried to survive we tried to encourage each other and support each other in the best way we could we have nothing there we have only each other One day I was looking at the ground of the, the fence. Then I saw a little uh, lizard. I never saw iguana in my life. I never even heard it, it exist. They are very friendly, very social. Uh, especially when like, you touch your uh, head, like you will bend down. <laughs> or touch under the neck. Like, yeah, the sensitive uh, places. Uh, give her name. Its name is a princess. So I just call her. Come here, come here. She was like, come running to me. I liked her so much, really. I used to feed her with my hands, apple or uh, banana or dates. It's one of our uh, tradition as Arabs, especially in, like in my country in Yemen. If we eat, we must invite everyone around uh, and share our food. We developed a very good relationship with those animals. Birds, we have some birds too. There was snakes, there was, uh, we had banana rats too. But then we have cats. They born actually there with us. So we took them, feed them, clean them, uh, shower them. And they look very nice, very clean, smell very nice. If guard caught me feeding those animals, I was punished. But it's okay, I'm like, I don't care. Because when you feed those animals, you feel love. When you feel love, you feel happiness in your heart. And it's connected to your soul, actually. And it gives you comfort. Sometimes we look at those animals and imagine they were asked, what brings you here, guys? What brings you here with the orange suit? Who are you? Like, why are you in cage? We lived in fear, actually. I went on hunger strike many times there. <laughs> the hunger strike was our peaceful mean to protest our situation there. And when we are in hunger strike, I can see those animals sweating there. Cats, iguanas, like, they just kept looking at us. I felt like embarrassed, I like, want to cry because I, I didn't have food. I'm hunger strike, what to give them? It is hard for me, I can't, I can't just watch those animals starving like that, not feed them.
I remember when I started talking to my friend, uh, Francis Iguana, a psychologist came to me, a woman. And uh, are you okay? They used to ask really crazy questions like, do you want to kill yourself? Are you thinking to kill yourself? After like 2010, the rules when the communal living was relaxed and they need have, uh, and they want to keep us busy. They brought uh, TV shows, movies, magazines. Uh, I watched some like Glimmer Girls. I watched some uh, Sex in the City. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> and uh, one of the good stories I watched, like Notebook, it was one of the best movies I watched in Guantanamo. Uh, the Notebook is a movie where uh, lovers love each other. The wife, she lost her memory when she got uh, old. And he would go to her and would tell her story every day I, I can I you must watch it I don't think I'll describe it good but I think you should watch it and you will thank me <laughs> of course all that affect my view of the woman uh, what uh, life I want what kind of uh, family I would like what kind of woman I want I would like to marry a woman who is uh, who is better than me uh, I don't care if she's a Muslim or Jew or Christian. I don't care. It doesn't matter. And uh, I would like to have two lovely little girls. <laughs> uh, uh, I feel there is like something missing. Always in Guantanamo. My life's not complete. Because I never been with the one before. I never been in love before. So I don't know how it feels. There's something I missed. When I was 19 years old, I was shipped to Guantanamo detention. There's like a gap, almost like 15 years there. One day I was looking at my face at the mirror when I was on hunger strike. I, f I saw some gray hair in my face, in my uh, head. I, I was shocked. 15 years. I remember one, one day in our marriage class, we made a pretend uh, wedding for one of uh, detainees. Actually, it was a tradi uh, Yemeni tradition uh, wedding. It was like the end of the class, the big, the big day, the wedding day. Then we chose one of, of our brothers. He was a little uh, troublemaker. This guy is going to marry today. We agreed on some wife, like chose one of the brothers to be the, <laughs> the bride. And our brother put the sheet around him and sheet in his head like a Yemeni, like a Yemeni wedding. Today we have a wedding party. We are going to, to cook for 300 people. All kind of people imagine. Teachers, engineers, singers, mafia, soldiers, divers, psychologists, pilots, chefs. Add the tomato. Please test the salt, the meat. Okay, now add the onion to the oil. Shh. <laughs> oh God, like a delicious food. Real celebration. All night long. We sang, we danced on the bed. 
it starts with the Yemeni dancing, moving to the Afghani, back to the Pakistani, back to the Saudi dancing, and brought it together with some moves. It was like a funny dancing. No, 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 I can't. What do you feel? I'm going to heaven. <laughs> it was a lovely moment. It was like you live in hell, but in the hell you find some kind of moment like you never ever forget those moments, even now. In 2016, I was released. I know I am like over 35 now. I never charged with anything, actually. Uh, I remember one of the military board. Uh, he had a meeting with me the last time. He said, Mansour, I want to tell you something. He said, Sorry for holding you that long for that nothing. He said, uh, it's not official, but this is from me. Sorry. When I said goodbye to my brothers and to our animals, it was um, really hard. We have lived years and years for each other. We have shared our life. We saw those animals get born, grown up. Some of them died. Uh, some of them get another kitties, feed them, giving them name, play with them. It was a part of our life. Do you want to tell me it's not just the orange color people see or like the shackles or... No, there was a life there. There was a life. They put me in the airplane. And... Uh, uh, because of different uh, circumstances in Yemen, I am in, uh, uh, in Serbia, a different country which I don't have society around me, family member or friends who are actually part of my life. I get to know some people, but uh, because the stigma of Guantanamo, uh, when they get to know about you, they just uh, try to stay away from me. So, uh, after Guantanamo, I still feel it's like I am hoping to find the life I'm looking for. Sometime I walk by the street, I saw two young people, they like, it was like a movie. You can see they love each other. Sometime I want to be in that feeling. I would like to have the same thing. I would like to love and to be loved. Uh, of course, like, I would like to have... Uh, Beautiful woman, understanding. Uh, I will love her first, more than she loves me. And, uh, uh, okay, was <laughs> she? <laughs> I don't know, I haven't met her yet. So if, I, if I met her, I will, I will let you know. I will let you know. Life is a journey of love and beauty. And uh, if you can't find that, 
I am sorry to tell you that you that you are not alive. You just exist. Mansura Daifi is currently living in Belgrade, Serbia, where the audio you just heard was recorded. Immediately after we spoke with him, Mansour says he was detained by the Serbian police, along with the recording engineer we'd hired. They were released later that day, but we soon learned that our audio files had been confiscated. After consulting with Mansour's lawyers and various journalist rights groups, we contacted the Serbian Ministry of the Interior and the Prime Minister's office, but received no response. However, our audio was eventually returned, allowing us to bring you this story. Even though Mansour has never been charged with any crime, Serbian authorities have kept him under near-constant surveillance. Mansour says that government officials have warned him not to talk to the press and have harassed him for doing so previously. But he wants his story to be known. When detainees are released from Guantanamo, the U.S. government sometimes resettles them in countries that are not their own. In Mansour's case, the U.S. government made an arrangement with Serbia to take him in for a period of two years. He has no papers that would allow him to travel and is not able to work. He hasn't seen his parents for 17 years. According to one of Mansour's lawyers, Beth Jacob, Mansour was recently told that as of September 1st of this year, he will no longer have legal status permitting him to live in Serbia. There are two probable outcomes to his situation. To be sent to a refugee camp in Serbia and apply for asylum, which he believes is not likely to be granted. Or to be sent to a different country, where, given his history and what has happened to other former Guantanamo detainees, he fears he could be put in prison or killed. Mansour and his lawyers are looking for other solutions. Ideally, they would find another country where he might be allowed to live and build a life for himself. At the time of the release of this episode, he's got less than two weeks to do it. We reached out to the Serbian government for comment and have not heard back. This episode of Love Me was produced and edited by Mira Burt-Wintonic, Crystal Duhame, and Sarah Geis. It was mixed by Crystal Duhame. Enormous thanks to Mansour Adaifi for sharing his story. Love is an art and can be taught. We study medical, we study science, we study about almost like everything. But how we ever thought to give courses, how to make people love each other? Mansour is currently writing a memoir about his time at Guantanamo. You can find links to his writing at our website, cbc.ca slash loveme, where you can also see a short video of Mansour. I would like to send my regards to my friends at Animals in Guantanamo and tell them, hey, I haven't forgotten about you. Special thanks to our Belgrade recording engineer, Beth Jacob, Aaron Thompson, Marcel Le Corsier, Dustin Milligan, Shannon Heffernan, and everyone else we consulted with for this episode. Original theme music by Tim Kingsbury 
Additional music by Murray Lightburn. I'm Lou Olkowski. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more episodes of Love Me this fall. Subscribe to the podcast at cbc.ca slash loveme or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out more CBC podcasts at cbc.ca slash original podcasts. For more CBC original podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash original podcasts.